Welcome to the Bruins Success Podcast. Today's guest is Kelsey Balanswiener, Senior Vice President of Scripted for NBCU International Studios. She oversees the studio's scripted division in Los Angeles and has been with studios for two years and has been the key executive in packaging and selling a number of shows, including Clickbait and Stateless for Netflix and Lady Parts for Peacock. Kelsey is charged with building on the company's track record of creating premium scripted content with global appeal and with developing series with emerging and diverse voices. Prior to this role, Kelsey was head of programming at NBC Universal's comedy streaming venture, CISO, where she had the oversight of all originals, acquisitions, and co-productions. Before NBC Universal, Kelsey was at Participant Media, where she worked on the critically acclaimed series, Please Like Me. During her time at UCLA, Kelsey was involved with Brunewoods and even was the director of Spring Sing and on the board of directors for the Student Alumni Association. Welcome, Kelsey, to the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Bruins Success Podcast. I'm here with Kelsey Balance today, and we'll be talking about her career and advice. And uh, yeah, we'll jump right in. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. We would love to hear about your professional trajectory so far from your undergraduate days, studying communications, film, media, to your internship at CAA and roles at Participant Media. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I had the most amazing time at UCLA. I grew up in Chicago and coming out to California was such a dream for me. And so when I got in, it was so exciting. And I knew that there was just so much that the campus could offer in terms of what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do film, maybe be a film producer. I always loved movies and TV growing up. And it was such a, a love of mine and my family's and a deep passion. But I was terrified because when I showed up in LA, everybody who was interested in film knew somebody or been holding a camera since they were five. I mean, all the typical things. And I was like, oh, that's definitely not me. So maybe I should just, you know, cut while I'm ahead and, and change course and do something else. So I was also really interested in nonprofit work and um, thought maybe I could work for an NGO or maybe there's a way to combine the two things. And so while I was at UCLA, I discovered, um, uh, SAA, which was amazing. And, um, met for those some, who might not know, what does SAA stand for? Oh, so the Student Alumni Association. Okay. Thanks. Um, yeah. And so we put on all the school events. So, um, the big events, if not all of them, but a lot of big ones. So Spring Sing was one that I was a part of, um, uh, entertainment networking night. Um, and I just bring up those two because those kind of helped me, um, continue my exploration into this industry and also help me find connections with alumni and help me ultimately get my foot in the door. Um, uh, but then I also was exploring some nonprofit work on campus and um, went abroad with a nonprofit. And so um, when I graduated, I was able to uh, get an internship at CAA um, through an alumni connection. And um, I worked in both the TV group and in the nonprofit group. And that was so perfect and interesting for me because it helped me further kind of cement my passion for both things, but also help clarify what I actually thought was the right move for my early stages of my career and kind of how I could continue to blend those things. I also kind of taking it back 
stopped for a second. I'd also gotten an internship at Participant Media when I was a senior at UCLA through an alumni connection that I met at Bruin Woods, which is a, a summer, a family summer camp that UCLA students can work at during the summers at Lake Arrowhead. And um, when I discovered that company, I was like, wow, that's, that is the company. They're making entertainment that can inspire social change. Like how cool is that? That's exactly my two passions combined. I loved interning there. Um, and uh, and they had said to me, go work in an agency. If you want to at all work in creative, you know, and again, at the time I thought it was more film focused um, and you want to be a development executive, um, which is somebody who actually uh, either works at a production company or a studio and works with writers and is um, helping develop uh, creative and ideas and for films and TV shows, um, you know, go start at the agency. That's where you learn everything. So that's how I kind of focused on finding an internship at CAA. And then while I was there, I got connected to um, somebody who um, set me up an interview with Universal Pictures. Um, and it was a third assistant to um, the chairwoman at the time. And um, that was kind of my, my big foot in the door. CAA was definitely a big step, but then once I got that job, I really got a sense of the larger industry and kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and I'll stop there because I will keep talking, but, but basically that was kind of my introduction into NBC. Um, and I, and I never thought I would work at one company for my whole career. I always thought that I'd jump around and that I'd be more entrepreneurial and I would, um, uh, you know, try different things and move all over. And I've actually had all those experiences within this one company pretty much, but, um, it still surprises me that however many years later, I'm actually still at this company and I've had so many different jobs. Um, other than my quick role at Participant Media, which you did ask about. And so I brought up the internship there because it was just to tie back that I, my first job was at Universal Pictures. And then um, I got an opportunity to go help Participant Media start their first TV network. And so I left Universal then to go to Participant um, and was there for a few years working on their new TV network. Um, I was recruited back to NBC to work on their um, first attempt at a streaming service. Uh, and so I happily came back to the company. So gotcha. Wow, that's an incredible trajectory. I am very impressed that those early positions were through alumni connections. That's really encouraging. I feel like universities, UCLA, of course, as well, we're always encouraging students or young alums to really tap into the alumni network that exists and the people that they're meeting. And you are a perfect example of just how well that can work. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now that you've been with NBC Universal for seven years, and you hold the senior VP position in scripted programming. Wow. What an impressive journey. Um, what have those pivotal moments looked like over seven years, especially as it's become more common for folks to sort of jump, um, you know, to different organizations, you've held a number of different roles. So if you can tell us a bit more about some of those recent positions, we'd love to understand your growth at the organization. Sure. Yeah. So, so going back to my very first job at Universal at the film studio, it was such an amazing experience just getting to see that perspective from the woman I was working for at the time um, uh, and, and to see the industry from, from her office, basically. Um, it really uh, helped me understand the various 
opportunities and dynamics in both film, but also the larger entertainment industry. And um, what I loved was this opportunity to really be entrepreneurial. That's something that was always really important to me. I felt like I could be really entrepreneurial at UCLA. I was involved in so many different things and I wanted to somehow continue that within entertainment. And so um, when I had the opportunity to go back to participate media, this company that I loved, that was kind of like my, I thought that eventually after I had this long career of learning everything, I'd go back to that company to produce passion projects. And when I had the opportunity to go back much earlier and help them start a TV network, I'd asked my boss at the time and she was super supportive and was like, you're young, go try it out, do something different. You can always come back. And you know, I loved NBC Universal, but she was like, go, go try something new and, and see what happens. And so, um, I'm so glad she gave me that advice because it was such an incredible experience going and um, launching this television network, which is called Pivot TV. It doesn't exist anymore. We, we built it, launched it, and then had to shut it down within the three years I was there. Um, but through that whole process, um, you know, it was, it was one of the last niche cable channels to launch, which sounds crazy to say. Yeah. Um, that year, there were like five or six other uh, niche cable channels. I'm trying to remember the names of some other ones. None of them exist anymore. But um, it was kind of this last year of that like golden era of cable and streaming was very much taking over. Um, and uh, so we, there was just a lot of issues in launching a, a TV network. And it was also geared towards millennials who were uh, interested in inspiring social change, which I obviously was that audience. But oh, wow. And, <laughs> millennials were the one they definitely not present you know not not signing up for cable to watch a niche cables channel um they were the ones you know leaving and quote unquote cutting the cord and so um learned so so much it was such a great experience so grateful i had it um but you know as i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do next i knew that it was a, it was streaming and what was interesting was it was just around the time when netflix hadn't they they had acquired a few TV shows and we're, we're calling them originals, but they haven't actually developed their own TV studio yet. And um, and I think House of Cards was like just on the horizon, which I always point oh, out, yes. their, big, their big show. Yeah. And so I reached out to them and they were like, we aren't hiring, we don't have any, you know, we're, we're still primarily engineers and, and lawyers and, <laughs> and um, acquisition executives, we don't have development executives yet. So um, when I had this opportunity to come back to NBC Universal and help them kind of incubate what their streaming strategy would be. I thought, wow, what a, what a, what an amazing way to continue to be entrepreneurial, but back within this company that I love, um, to have the amazing resources of this massive company, while also the freedom to be entrepreneurial. Like, what a great combo! And again, that's what it was. And similar, similar to Pivot, that that streaming service was called CISO. And um, again, incredible experience. Worked with some great people. Helped build this streaming service. Um, launch it and then ultimately had to shut it down um, and there, there there's a few different reasons why that didn't work but I but, but I just bring up those two examples because I think after that I was like wow okay I'm, I think I was probably 27 at the time and I was like I've had the, these three really great jobs you know these two exciting startups that I was like super immersed in and hands-on and trying out all this stuff and ultimately failed but they, I don't consider them failures in my career trajectory because being able to have that hands-on experience and that exposure at such a young age, I think has helped me grow to where I am today. Um, and, you know, I, I think if you're interested in getting entertainment, 
everyone will tell you there's a, a very clear path. And, you know, you've started an agency and then you work, you know, you try to work for the, the highest, you know, most influential person you can and you keep kind of going and you find your mentor and they promote you and they kind of carry you through, right? And that's true for a lot of people. But I think for me, I was, and I've had those types of people throughout my career as well, which has been very helpful. But for me, I, I'm glad that my first boss gave me the advice to just go jump into something new and try something new and different than what everyone else was doing. Because I think that ultimately helped me create a skill set that was really unique and invaluable. And as I've carved through my career, I found really helpful that I've, you know, I've been able to lean on that um, different experience. And, you know, sometimes that means I've had to work harder at um, uh, being exposed to other, you know, other things that like colleagues of mine who did the more traditional path had built, had more time to build, but, um, but it also has meant that I've kind of been able to separate myself from the path of it and develop this. So I've always kind of looked for like, how do I stay close to the core of this industry, which is content, continue to be a development executive, stay close to that, both because I'm passionate about it, but also because strategically, I feel like for me, I wanted to always stay close to what the actual core of this industry was. And how do I continue to make myself invaluable by, by uh, developing my, the most unique part of my skill set? And so um, I only bring that up because it kind of helps set up where I am now, which is um, after CISO was over, um, NBC was great saying like, you know, we have met, we're a massive company. If there's any opportunities within this company, let us know what, you, what you'd like to do. And um, I, through both Pivot at Participant Media and CISO at NBC, I'd actually gotten exposed to international TV programming. Okay. Both, again, because those were small startups that were desperate to try to cut through this very saturated industry and make a name for themselves with these big shiny shows, but didn't ultimately have the same funding to compete against the big people at the time. Okay. And so how do you, how do you do that when you just don't have the money to, you know, to, to throw down, to buy the latest, hottest book? Yeah. And, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we looked at international, we looked at opportunities to do co-productions and co-financing. And so in the TV space, that's kind of akin to film indie financing, you know, this idea that you, let's say we have a show that starts with the BBC, like I'm trying to think of like the latest show that came out, that's a good example of co-production, but um, uh, like this, this show Fortitude that we worked on at Pivot, um, that was a Sky original, um, but it was a very expensive show um, and set like in the Arctic and Sky could only afford a certain portion of that budget. And so they brought it to us at Pivot as, a, as another network to co-produce it with them so we could co-finance. So we were getting this amazing, you know, multi-million dollar show for half the price, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think as, as the streaming services have made, um, have kind of democratized television in a way by making global TV more accessible to everybody, um, I think consumers tastes have evolved as well and being really interested in content from other places. So before it was like, oh, well, how do you find a show that's gonna work for both the UK and the US audiences that in completely different cultures, obviously a lot of similarities, but still very different nuances. Whereas now I think the fact that it has a global flavor to it actually is part of what makes a TV show attractive and interesting and different, right? So um, long story short, you know, I, I got, interested in this international space. And when I was at CISO, we were doing comedy content. And at the time, 
nobody was doing co-productions in comedy because quote unquote comedy doesn't travel. And that was like, that's been a long term, like long standing thing um, that, you know, dramas, you know, you can sell to other countries and they always tend to work because they have a very clear kind of structure to them and mystery and, you know, all those things that people love to watch. Um, whereas comedies always felt very nuanced and very specific to a culture. And I think Portlandia was probably one of the first shows that um, spoke to how that was changing and that like they thought they were making fun of this really specific culture in Portland and then discovered after that show became more accessible that there are Portlandias basically everywhere that, you know, shortage in London or, um, you know, various, various small neighborhoods, you know, in these big cities, all, they all existed, right? And I think that, that that speaks to that kind of idea of localization and actually making something more global and accessible. And so in the comedy space, I started doing, I took this thesis from Pivot and took, applied it to comedy um, at CISO and was able to do seven or eight co-productions between Australia and the UK and the US while I was there. Um, and had a lot of success with it. And I loved it. I loved getting to kind of going way back to what I said before when I was at UCLA dreaming about what my career would be like. I was like, oh, I'm going to be traveling. I'm never going to sit at a desk. I'm never going to work for one company. I'm going to be exploring the world. I'm going to be meeting interesting people. And, and so I have all done that, but not in the way I thought at all. Um, and so I said to NBC when I was leaving CISO, I'd love to stay, find a way to stay at International. Um, and they were just at the time kind of uh, relaunching their international studio. They were bringing in a new executive. I met with that executive um, and uh, it was just perfect timing and he was wonderful. And was like, well, come on, let's let, again, another startup within a big company, basically. Let's kind of figure out a way to relaunch this international studio. Um, and so that's where um, I am today. So I don't know if I exactly answered your question about the little moments, but you could probably see within there. Oh, those moments that kind of, again, looking back all makes sense, but in the moment I can definitely admit that like, I had no idea. I was like, how am I gonna go from like this failed startup to something else? And how am I gonna go to a second failed startup and like to, you know, to something else? And like, again, as I said, I don't consider those failures at all. They're incredible, successful for many reasons, especially for me, but like they all added up to, the, to this amazing place I am today. Yeah, no, I love that. I think a lot of times we get in our head this image of what success looks like. Um, and it's just usually not what we pictured. And I think even in the working world, there's a lot of twists and turns in everyone's career, but also within the industries that people are pursuing. You know, um, I don't think many people were prepared for all of the twists and turns related to COVID in the healthcare industry, but that was something yeah. that everyone had to adjust to and manage. And um, you know, there's been far reaching effects from that, obviously not quite the same as what you were talking about, but I really appreciate you sharing this with us because there's, there's a lot of different ways you can look at quote unquote failures or things that don't go as planned, but very often if we're willing to think a little bit more creatively, it's still a wonderful experience. And clearly, you know, looking back in hindsight, as you said, you couldn't have imagined how well it would all work out. And I love that story of sort of grit because a lot of times people talk about career and it's, it's the linear paths. It's the straight and narrow that folks anticipate their career going. And as I mentioned, it just, 
usually does not play out that way. So I, I love that. Thanks for sharing. And I think that sort of leads us into wanting to have a better understanding now. What does your day-to-day look like? Because I imagine it, it differs quite a bit week to week and um, maybe even month to month. I'm not sure. But could you um, give us some insight into um, you know, what today looks like and, and what next week might be for you? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I'm still a development executive, just working at the international studio, which to your point about how much things have changed. I mean, this, this industry as many, as, as many others have been impacted by COVID, but has also been going through this kind of evolution since streaming came on the scene and the trickle effect of that. So I think in two years ago, um, we, combined all the studios at NBC Universal. So there were a few different television studios that specialized in different things. Um, two that were more domestic, us that were more international focused, and then an unscripted, those are all scripted and then an unscripted studio. And so we are now one studio group called Universal Studio Group. Um, we each still have our kind of specialties that we're looking for, but we're, we're now um, sharing resources and, and, and under this larger umbrella, which is really great for business and to help us continue to be nimble and responsive to how things are changing and meeting the demands of the buyers that we're selling television to. So being at, so taking another step back, being in a, a development executive at a television studio is slightly different than the film industry because the film industry is just, you know, you have your producers and you have the film studio who, who um, acts as the, you know, distributor. But in, in TV, there's this, middle layer of the TV studio between the producers and the TV networks. And so we um, work with TV producers and writers. Um, We help finance the development of their series. And then we sell them to the networks to distribute. So for example, uh, I worked on a series called Clickbait that um, released on Netflix this past summer. Um, and we produced that with one of our Australian production companies in Australia um, as a co-production with one of our British UK production companies. Wow. Which is crazy. And it was, it was shot in Australia. Our showrunner is Australian, um, but it's actually set in Oakland. So we had a double Australia for Oakland and we flew in a bunch of American cast to Australia to, to, you know, to try to sell it. And again, this happens all the time in features. It just hadn't been such a thing in TV until recently. And by doing that, we were able to do it much more economically, but also when COVID started, Australia at the times, like in the beginning of COVID was like the place that was like the safest and the only place that you could continue doing production. And so we kind of pivoted to take advantage of that as well. But um, anyways, to actually use that as an example to explain what I do, you know, we're as the studio, we're financing development and then we're, yeah, selling. So we, we finance the, and help develop that idea. You know, the writer came up with the idea, brought it to the production company, the production company we have a relationship with, you know, brought it to us. We then um, sold it to Netflix and then we, you know, maintain the kind of, we licensed it to them essentially for a period as an original. Um, and so that's where we're, we're kind of the middleman in, in what we do. So my day-to-day kind of looks like um, uh, calls at all times of the day, because I'm working with all different territories around the world, um, working with writers all over the world, meeting new writers, um, exploring um, new stories, new IP, whether it's books or plays or articles um, from everywhere, 
um, trying to find things. Really what our studios focus on is trying to find things that would work for global storytelling. So we can, like that show, Clickbait is, is an example. It was a US show sold to Netflix primarily for the US audience, but obviously it launched everywhere and and did really well outside the US as well. Um, so we, we we're focused on finding global stories that um, really can be sold anywhere. So we, we the, the kind of the, the, the differentiator for us versus our sister studios is that we can work with American writers, but we mostly work with writers from outside the US. We can tell American stories, but we're mostly telling more global stories and we can sell them to the networks here in the US, but we're mostly selling them either to more international focused parts of those streamers. So like Amazon International or Apple International or Netflix International, or doing co-productions with let's say Netflix US and um, uh, BBC or um, Peacock obviously is our own network um, and NBC our own home network. We sell things to them all the time, um, but we sometimes do co-productions like we have co-production with Peacock right now and um, a streamer in an international territory, um, which I realize we haven't announced yet, so I'm not gonna say what it is, but so we, we, we work, you know, we kind of work across. Um, so I have all the fun of a, of a normal development executive getting to read a bunch of scripts and meet really interesting writers and figure out what are just the most exciting stories people wanna be watching on TV right now. But I also get to do it with this lens of um, getting to do that all over the world, I guess. Wow, that's that's pretty cool job. <laughs> so, <laughs> as we you know think about building a successful career, the entertainment industry is so competitive. Were there ever points where you felt challenged or frustrated? You know, like is it going to work? Am I going to be able to build a career in this in this world? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think that as you said, entertainment's super competitive, but also wanting to be a development executive is very competitive. I mean. I think, you know, being a writer is also very competitive, but you also have to have talent, right? So, and, and of course you do as a development figure too, but it's, there's more of a learned skill there. But like, um, I think that, as I mentioned, when I first got on the UCLA's campus and wanted to explore film and was immediately intimidated because I was like, oh, I don't have the experience or the connections or what it takes. I think I've had that moment multiple times throughout my career as well. And, um, almost in a way, kind of being able to find a way to get over that at UCLA has given me that ability to, to continue to persevere through those tough moments. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's always been coming back to like my passion and also truly my um, like belief in, in what we're doing. As corny as it sounds, I do believe that storytelling can change the world. I do believe it's, it's how we can create empathy and the importance of it. And um, and so even though that was my focus at participant media and it hasn't been since from a business perspective, it is always like my personal um, passion is like finding stories that I think are really gonna resonate and make a difference and are saying something special. Um, and so that's kind of what always has gotten me to, you know, keep pushing through. And then um, I think to your point too, like, especially I'm sure a lot of people who are listening can relate, like, it's really hard to get into UCLA. So if you're there, you are like either a really type A person or a really high achieving person, you have a high bar for yourself. Like, um, and 
it's competitive at UCLA to do well at school and everything else. And so that's actually all very much, I think, uh, helping prepare you for what life's like out in the real world for what you want to do. But also, I think to your point, the thing that I was able to let go of early, but was really hard for me at first was that kind of conditioning of like, okay, you have to get, you have to go to the most name brand company, or you have to go to the most name brand person. And you always have to do the shiniest thing. You should always pick the job based on the, what everybody else thinks about it and not about actually who your boss is or what the culture of that company is or all the other things that are actually going to make you happy and successful at your job. So I'm now at a point where I try to tell people like, sure, that's somewhat important. Like as you're building your resume, like all the various things that you have on it that someone can just quickly be like, oh yeah, that I know that that's legit. That's credible. But it's actually more important to find those, either the boss that you're super inspired by and want to work with the environment, the colleagues that you're working with or the culture of the company, um, I think is as important or even more important because that's ultimately what I ended up prioritizing over the kind of, you know, jumping into these startups that were no name things, you know, I think again, were so, so, so valuable to me um, and ultimately got me to the place of doing the bright and shiny things that I wasn't, it's because I let go of trying to only do that early on and ultimately, you know, does, I don't know, does that make sense? So. Oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of went a little bit against the grain of the entertainment industry and, and how things play out, but it, you know, you had no way of knowing just how perfect all that experience would be to lead you to this <laughs> place where you are right now. Well, and I also add to that quickly of like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people listening have been hearing like, oh, you just have to network, 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 build your network. And as a student, you're like, how do I do that? Like, where do I start? And you start with the alumni, but they're all like really busy. And a lot of them are really helpful. Like I've had some that are helpful to me, but like, um, you really should be meeting people your own age because ultimately you, you kind of create a class. So everyone who started, I started with as an assistant early on, are actually still good friends of mine and are who I'm doing business with now. And that's really fun. It's like, I bought a show from one of my best friends. I bought a show from one of my own roommates, like my other friend, you know, people that I was with at UCLA working at Springsteen and company with are now heads of networks and are now writing on TV shows and like doing cool stuff. And so I always go back to this idea of like, it's quality over quantity. Like, I don't think it's about building your network and just meeting a bunch of people to meet a bunch of people. I think that it's actually just about being true to yourself and meeting really good people that you like and you genuinely vibe with and you um, share a passion and, and for what you're doing and like to stick with those people and ultimately you're gonna grow together and help each other. Um, and that's really cool. And so I think don't, you know, what sounded so daunting of like build this network and just meet as many people you can. Ultimately when I, sh again, shifted my perspective and was like, I just wanna meet a few really, great people that see eye to eye with me and then we can help each other out. And like those people I'm still close with and, I'm, and we're still helping each other out, you know? And, and a lot of the other people I met early on who were the crazy networkers aren't even in the industry anymore. Um, so, you know, I think it's just, um, again, a way to reframe and, and not make it feel so daunting of like, you know, you have to like meet all these influential people, but what you will and you do and it'll be great. But like, it's more about meeting peers and helping each other out. That's a really fresh take on the idea of networking and, and how people should be building out their networks is these are your future colleagues in this industry, I think, especially in LA. Um, and that's really good advice. But I do want to pick your brain a little bit further and say for folks who 
maybe didn't have the opportunity to study film as undergrads, um, you know, maybe their early career, mid career, and this is something that they want to break into. How do they get the attention um, from professionals to not necessarily network, but to, um, you know, apply for these jobs? Maybe they've done something in an adjacent world or they have a similar skill set. How do they stand out if they haven't um, sort of grown up in the industry? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good question. I think that um, being at UCLA in LA, if you're interested in entertainment, and um, and in the, even if you're not, I think this what I'm about to say applies to other things too. But especially if you're interested in entertainment, um, you have so much access here, you know, in terms of internships. And yeah. as much as there's so much to do on campus, and I did a lot while I was on campus, I my junior and senior year was really focused on doing internships. And that ultimately was part of what was really helpful to me was um, making those early connections to, again, the higher level executives I was technically working for, but really the assistance of those executives who were actually managing me as an intern and um, creating mentors or asking them to be mentors, basically telling them I'm your mentee, whether you like it or not, but, um, uh, you know, just, just creating that relationship. And again, they ultimately are still people who are mentors of mine. Um, and so I think that that honestly is the best. I mean, getting to work on entertainment networking night in spring sing and these big events that bring great alumni back is also amazing. And as I mentioned, a few people from that and at Bruin Woods, um, uh, ultimately were helpful in me getting my first jobs. Um, uh, I think that like um, it was it was again going back to this idea of like when I was an intern, just um, making connections with the assistants, basically the, the closest, basically the job I was trying to get, which was you know the entry level job was was getting to know those assistants and being as helpful to them as I could, um, whether that's you know getting coffee or whatever you're asked to do and doing a good job of it. But I think you know that plus. Um, what I was speaking about before about finding what makes you unique, right? Like, I think that again, I think especially today, just to get into college, you know, everyone looks at their checklist in high school and is like, okay, I have to have this many hours of community service and I have to be the president of this club and I need to um, play a sport and I need to do all these things. And so ultimately they're all kind of conforming to the same thing versus the opposite of like, well, what makes you different, right? What do you love, you know, on top of that? So um, whether it's, studying abroad um, or what I did, I worked for an NGO abroad through UCLA in Africa. Like that was a huge thing for me that I loved and also was a differentiator for me when I was doing interviews that set me apart from other people, you know, trying something different. And so I would say, utilize your time at UCLA to get involved in as many community, you know, organizations as you can and and, um, make connections there. Um, Use the internship opportunity through it, whether SAA or, um, you know, through the school to find internships that um, ultimately are your kind of way in and honestly, your free way of like getting to try out. I did something in publicity, something marketing, like I did, it wasn't all development executive related. And those people also were still helpful to me, but, um, you know, you get to try out a bunch of different things um, and, and then use the alumni network for sure to find, to, to find some great mentors. Um, Mm -hmm. And, but I wouldn't focus as much on just, just on that. Like it's kind of the whole thing, if that makes sense. And then find ways to find experiences that kind of set you apart and make you different. 
I love that. It's great. Well, with our last question here before our rapid fires, how have you been defining success for yourself? Because you definitely seem like, you know, a little bit of an out of the box thinker. You're, you're willing to do things um, slightly different than the way the entertainment industry requires. So does that apply to the way you've defined success for yourself in your own life? Such a good question. Um, I do. I mean, I, I, my husband and I were just talking about this. And I'm so excited that you guys are going to interview as well, because he's such a great story of what he did at UCLA and, and what he's been able to do after school. I mean, he's such a cool job. Um, but we were talking about now that we have a daughter, we said a daughter a few months ago. Um, Congratulations. UCLA, thank you. We had to, we had to have her at UCLA for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, what do we want to kind of instill in her? And I think for both of us, we were very fortunate to have parents who kind of early on instilled this idea of goal setting. And I think back to my dad, actually, I still remember when I was in elementary school, he had printed out something and put it in like a, like an, like a file folder for me. And it was just a one page that had a star at the top and it was like, what's your goal? And then like three lines, like, how are you going to achieve your goal? Mm. And that was like, so probably simple and probably doesn't even remember giving it to me, but that was clearly very influential for me in this idea of like how to, how to set goals and how to, to your question, to find success for yourself. And um, I've really been doing that ever since. And I journal almost every day. Now was harder, but now maybe more once a week. But or, well, throughout my career, I would journal every day. I would set clear goals every quarter, and I'd kind of check in on them. And you know, things would change, things would shift. Some things wouldn't happen. Some things would. But just this idea of like continuing just to check in with yourself and allow that definition of success to evolve, right? Because it's not to what we were saying earlier. Always like the same thing of like, okay, if I like. I'm, when I'm an SVP at a big company like NBC Universal, I'm finally going to have made it and be successful. Like, I feel very proud of what I've done, but I don't feel like I've made it. I feel like there's still so much more I can learn and do, you know? And I felt that way every step of the way. And I think I've been able to stay connected to myself. And there's been times where, you know, it's been hard and I've had to find ways to reconnect with that kind of self-confident kind of, yeah, self-confidence of like, okay, who am I? What do I want to do? And how do I want to do that? Ultimately, what are my KPIs, my key performance indicators that kind of help define success? And that's evolved a lot since just like early on, just getting a job at a reputable place. So like, it's never actually been about the, um, I guess the, the ego related things. There's a great book that my husband and I both read called the Ego is the Enemy, which I think is a really- Ego is the Enemy? ego is the enemy yeah um that it might be too early for graduate but after the first few years of working you kind of realize like it's kind of what we're speaking about of like how to define success for yourself in a way that's actually um healthy and like beneficial to you that keeps driving you rather than take you down right um and um I'm trying to think of some other great books and things we've read along that. But, oh, that's you know. great. It's actually one of our rapid fire questions to, to share, you know, a great book or article okay. media that you've consumed. So I, that's a wonderful recommendation. And it leads us right into, if you have time for a few rapid fire questions, what's a favorite UCLA memory you have? <sighs> oh my gosh. I mean, so many, I think, um, I was just describing to my, um, cousin who's about to start school like how each year it felt so different um and was its own book in a larger book series right of like you know or a chapter in one larger book of like um 
but I think partly, I mean, spring sing is such a cool experience. Getting to work on that was amazing. And, and then those nights were awesome. Um, but also um, working at Bruinwoods was so fun. And that's where I met my husband and um, mm. really like it's an incredible family, family place that's, you know, connected to UCLA. Um, Jan Steps, which is your background, which I keep looking like, oh my God, like we actually still go back with our dog and our baby and do picnics, picnics there with our other UCLA friends, um, just because it's so beautiful and just studying out there and hanging out up there. Like those are all really good memories too. Um, so I don't have one, sorry. That's okay. You can have a couple. That's fine. So you covered, you know, a favorite book. It sounds like you have a favorite place on campus on those steps that you still go back to and lots of wonderful UCLA memories. Thank you so much for just sharing so much wonderful advice and um, your experience and some of the things that you did very differently, but you got to a wonderful place in your career. And it sounds like you're still growing and we'll be excited to you know, follow your career. And who knows, maybe you'll, you'll be back on UCLA's campus someday giving advice yeah, to okay. person once we can do that again. Uh, well, thank you so much. It's so fun. And again, I, I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I'm still learning and it's just been such a great fun ride. And I really attribute a lot of um, what I've learned through where I started at UCLA for sure. So I'm so excited for, so jealous of people who are graduating and starting this journey because it's just like so exciting and daunting and all those things that like being where I am now and looking back, it's like, oh, you're in for such a wild ride and and so much fun and success. So uh, thank you for sharing that. It's helpful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So helpful. <laughs> it made all the sense. And I'm sure the Bruins listening are really appreciating all that you shared and the advice. And I'm sure there'll be some folks wanting to emulate your path and take similar steps. So thanks again, Kelsey. It's been our pleasure and uh, yeah, wishing you the best. Thanks so much. Thanks to Kelsey for her great insight into the entertainment industry and beyond. For this episode's career tip, we have a tip from Sylvia D'Souza class of 2014. She says, never say no, explore everything. It's short and sweet but couldn't be more true. In many cases, Bruins say no to opportunities because they think they aren't qualified, but Sylvia's tip is a reminder not to say no right away. Explore an opportunity, even if it could be scary. See if it fits. See if it could be a great growing opportunity. By opening yourself up to new and uncharted experiences, you could find a new job that could grow you in new ways. Thanks, Sylvia, for your simple and much needed advice. And thanks to you, listener, for joining us for this episode of the Bruins Success Podcast. If you have a career tip, send it to us in an email or in a voice memo to aceace at support.ucla.edu. Go Bruins!